The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest grooves, to the backwoods swamp where you hit the bottom, for the inside of your casket, to the fears lodged deep inside your subconscious, it's time for a big, scary show. <laughs> Hi, this is Ryan Elstead from True the Paranormal, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Christopher Presley from PB&J Paranormal in Cary, North Carolina, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. The top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Greetings, mortals. I'm Dick Terhune, the voice from hell. And of course, you're listening to the big, scary show. <laughs> This is Chad Savage of Sinister Visions, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. It's a September 26th episode, number 220 of The Big Scary Show, and we continue living the dream in COVID Town with the rest of the haunted attraction community as many haunts are taking the chance, enforcing the safety protocols, and are starting to open for the 2020 haunt season. The Roundtable of Terror returns as the co-hosts sit down to discuss paranormal investigations with Christopher Presley from PB&J Paranormal, Ryan Olstead from Prove It Paranormal Research, and Heidi Pulskamps from Heidi's Haunts. Badger reads Deadline News, and Storm rants about CDC Halloween advisories, and questions whether or not the person who wrote them has ever done anything on Halloween in a hot minute. Meat Hook Jim returns with Between the Corpses and continues talking about funeral customs in Egypt. We have a new gruesome giveaway winner, and Vice returns with part seven of the horror of it all with the Haunted Vista. And I'll be spinning some spooky tunes from the Reverend Coffin's new release out now. All this and more on the September 26th episode number 220 of The Big Scary Show. Have a 
happy haunting season and be safe. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. 
Hi folks, it's Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 220 as we get further into haunt season. And we're going to start off with this news from Eagle Hollow Haunts in Eagle, Nebraska. The answer to your question is yes. Eagle Hollow Haunts will be open this October with big changes. Due to the unpredictability of 2020, we have focused on fully re-envisioning, expanding, and intensifying our outdoor haunt, the Darklands. The haunt has been extended and upgraded considerably this year to make up for the fact that we will have to keep Luminon and Night Terrors closed for 2020 to ensure the safety of our cast and patrons. While many attractions around the country are unable to open this year, we have worked hard to open as safely and as scarily as possible. Ticket prices have been reduced this year and all tickets will be timed tickets to help with the physical distancing in line. Nose and mouth covering masks will be required for everyone entering the haunts for the safety of all. Tickets and more information will be available at EagleHollowHaunts.com. We have this news from the Harlan Haunted Farm of Terror in New Haven, Michigan. To all of our Harlan Haunted Farm family and friends, after careful consideration, it is with a heavy heart that we announce that the Haunted Farm of Terror has suspended the opening of the 2020 season. Amid the pandemic of COVID-19, we felt that opening was not in the best interest for everyone. Your safety is top priority, as well as having an extremely fun night out at the haunt, which we don't feel it's possible, and for that reason, we will not be opening this year. Get more info and keep up with any updates at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Haunted Farm of Terror. We have this from Clinton's Terror on Washington Street in Clinton, Illinois. Clinton's Terror on Washington Street Haunted House plans to open on Friday, October 9th. Things will be different this year. For your safety and for the safety of all the ghouls and monsters, we ask that you please wear a mask and not a Halloween mask on the premises and practice six-foot social distancing between non-household groups. Also, wash your hands often. Online ticketing will be utilized along with timed entry to the haunted house. This is new for us too, so please be patient with us as we navigate through these new procedures. If you do your part and we do our part, we will all have a safe and fun October. Get more information at facebook.com slash Clinton Haunted House. We have this news from the Wicked World Scaregrounds in Nicholasville, Kentucky and Haunters Against Hate. It's the third annual Haunters Against Hate LGBTQ night at Wicked World Scaregrounds. Mark your calendars for October 4th. COVID-19 protocols and protections have been implemented into the haunt, so make sure to bring your mask. Proceeds will be benefiting the Pride Community Services Organization. Get more information at facebook.com slash haunters against hate. We have this news from Terror on Rural Street in Hartford, Illinois. Hartford Community Services Incorporated, the Creatures of Terror on Rural Street Haunted House, with the utmost concern for the health, wellness, and safety of our valued guests and staff, along with the local community, 
we have made the very difficult decision to close the haunted house this season. We do look forward to reopening for the 2021 season with a brand new house as we will be redesigning and taking time to create new scares. We will share the most up-to-date information on our website and across social media platforms. Thank you for understanding and for your continued support of our community. Be safe and stay healthy as we want to see you again soon. Get more information on their website or at facebook.com slash terror on rural street. Staying in Illinois, we have this news from Nightmare on Fairgrounds Road in Princeton, Illinois. We at Nightmare have been working diligently with our local health department and insurance company to come up with an operational plan that protects our visitors and our treasured commodity, Nightmare Entertainers. We have held out until the last possible moment in the hope we could proceed in some form. We have seen many of our sister haunts struggle with the same decision and in the end bow to demands of safety. In the end, we're afraid we must accept the same fate. Nightmare will not operate in 2020. We will use this time to reemerge as a bigger and better haunt for 2021. Those haunts that have been afforded the chance to haunt, we wish you the best and hope all goes well. Nightmare will be back next year. Have a great haunt season. Keep up with their updates at facebook.com slash nightmarenofr. And finally, we have this news on the Creature Feature Weekend at the Cumberland Drive-In in Newville, Pennsylvania, to benefit Scares of Care. This October 16th and 17th, Creature Feature Weekend will be at the Cumberland Drive-In, showing movies and bringing the festivities. We will have food trucks, games, contests, entertainment, and the best vendors around. Come out either day to see a circus sideshow like no other. Let's not forget about the kiddos. With Halloween in question, we'll be having pumpkin carving, trunk or treating, and of course, vendor trick or treating. Don't forget your costume. Let's not forget about the evening entertainment. Friday's opening movie will be none other than Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Friday's main feature will be TBA. Saturday's open, opening movie is the legendary Lost Boys. And Saturday's feature is the contemporary Halloween must trick or treat this event is to benefit scares that care we'll be charging 25 dollars a car for up to three adults any additional will be ten dollars a piece and we're breaking down the price as follows ten dollars will be used to cover event costs and 15 to be donated directly to scares that care that means that 60 percent of your ticket price will be donated to this amazing organization Every year, Scares That Care's owners and staff work day and night to do everything they can to help families of breast cancer survivor or patient, a burn survivor, and a terminally ill or sick child. We have created this event to do our part to assist Scares That Care to help those families. Get your tickets today. Spots are limited. Get more information at facebook.com slash creaturefeatureweekend or scaresthatcare.org. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Not since Rosemary's baby has there been anything 
like the devil within her. The story of a child created in hell to create hell on earth. You will have a baby, a monster, possessed by the devil himself. The Devil Within Her, starring Joan Collins as a woman cursed to carry the son of Satan. I'm your mother, you can't hurt me. Please go away. Donald Pleasance as the doctor destined to be destroyed by the devil within her. It's a question of my medicine versus your magic. A film that exposes you to the awesome powers of possession, exorcism, and satanic revenge. Pray for the devil within her before it preys on you. The devil within her, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Since 2007, professional and home haunters alike have trusted our award-winning and dedicated skeleton crew to make their nightmares come true. Whether you need graphic design services, logos, websites, spooky visuals, or creepy changing portraits, we can help your business look its scary best. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the earth, this is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so it's actually starting to feel like fall in a lot of areas. October's right around the corner, pumpkin spice is back out in the wild, you know, wherever you look, there's pumpkin spice everything. So, you know, we gotta get ready for Halloween, and with it still being 2020 and COVID, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, has come out with some guidelines and recommendations for upcoming holidays, including Halloween! Yay! Hey, I want everybody to be safe. I I understand some of the long-term effects and and everything that can be going around with COVID. It's more than just, like, the flu. You want to be careful. You want to do what you can to cut the percentage of you or somebody else getting it. Get it. All there with it. But my goodness, could they have found the any any more awkward, nerdy scientists to have written some of these things for Halloween and, and what they want and stuff? They they dropped in three categories, you know, your your high risk and your low risk activities. And of, of course, you know, high risk activities, of course, they're putting haunted houses and even hay rides, you know. Going on hay rides or tractor rides with people who are not in your household. Um, okay, yeah, you do a lot of things when people aren't in your household, just socially distance, wear a mask, that type of thing. It can be done. But, you know, other weird things, attending events, you know, uh, you know, just the normal crowded stuff, you know, the things where you're going to be slobbering on each other. And they do they do point out, you know, screaming and stuff is, is going to be a thing and, and probably not the best thing. Yeah, you don't want to be next to somebody screaming and it could pass 
germs and stuff as it is. One of the other weird things for all the holiday recommendations is, you know, they'll address Halloween directly, and then there's one that's using alcohol or drugs, which can cloud judgment and increase risky behavior. Really, you just had to throw that one in there for, for all the holidays, not just Halloween. Ooh, oh, I'm sorry, alcohol and drugs, risky behavior. Oh, careful with your Halloween thing. I'm not sure how that works into it, but they, hey, they wanted to throw it in. But it gets a little weirder and, and awkward, and this is the person not invited to stuff that, that you know, that, that scientists, like, almost like the, the Sheldon from Big Bang Theory must have written this stuff, and, and y you wonder about some of this, because they kind of phrase things in a more obnoxious way to, you know, even, even me, you know, I, I want to be safe and do the right things, but you read some of these and you're like, no, no, dude, no. One of the best is, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, bag up, you know, treat bags for for trick-or-treating first. Okay, and then put them at the end of your driveway or on a table lined up for the children to take. Yes, no, do not make that children plural because that'll be one child who'll just run and take them all. Have you never been trick-or-treating? Do you not understand what's out there? Um, they, they seem to think that Halloween is a series of scavenger hunts, too, in their recommendations, which are all on the CBC, you know, webpage. It's Google, you know, CBC Halloween, and some of these come up, and it, it, they are absolutely amazing because, you know, scavenger hunt is, like, mentioned twice for low risk and the things they want you to do. So, so you really think of it. They, there's one recommendation where literally they want you to trick-or-treat with your family in your house. You know, oh, <laughs> Uncle Larry's in the bathroom with the Snickers bars. That sounds terrible on so many different ways. But I, I think the one that really kills me is, you know, can we, you know, take no creativity and, and, and take all the fun out Halloween with this recommendation, doing a Halloween scavenger hunt where children are given lists of Halloween-themed things to look for. For while they walk outdoors from house to house, admiring Halloween decorations at a distance. Could you make it sound any less fun and non-Halloween? Oh, we're just, we're just going to walk around, not in costume, and not go near and just, Ooh, look at that pumpkin over there. Did you find a pumpkin on your list? Oh my goodness, you know, when, when we've been challenged to be creative and be safe this season, and... You know, ooh, I can sort of see safe in their recommendations, but there is no creativity at all. Oh, my God. All right, honors, you know, save us. Save Halloween. You know, the CBC is trying to help out and tell us what's safe, good. Go add some creativity and, and maybe, you know, an aspect of somebody's actually been trick-or-treating or actually has enjoyed some sort of Halloween festivity with this before. So until next time. Keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Store. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at BigScaryShow.com. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, 
and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. Once again, for the 220th time out there, we are bringing you the Round Table of Terror. And folks, it is haunt season. Haunted houses have opened this past weekend. Haunted houses are opening this weekend. Everybody's excited. We're hearing some very interesting stories and some good news and some fun news. And everybody's just looking forward to a really, really, shall we say, interesting haunt season. But you know... There are two kinds of haunts out there. There is the professional haunt that we always like to talk about. Pay your money, go in and get scared by clowns with chainsaws. And then there's the other type of haunt. Every weekend of the year, either professional or amateur teams of people are going into houses, warehouses, schools, abandon this place, abandon that place, factories, hospitals, and they are conducting investigations looking for evidence evidence of what who knows we're not here to dispute the existence of whether or not there is something out there but we do have some people who have some very interesting stories to tell and some very interesting experiences because they are these people who go out many times during the year to investigate so-called haunted places including a few haunted houses out there, I'll bet, because I know a bunch of them are in older buildings. So we are talking with paranormal investigators here on the roundtable tonight, and we have several guests who are here and are willing to share their stories. We're going to start off, first of all, in my neck of the woods down in North Carolina, Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. We have Christopher Presley on the line. He is one of the owners of PB&J Paranormal. Christopher, are you with us? I sure am. How you doing? Good. You go by Christopher or Chris most of the time? Whichever's easier for you. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, you smedley. Uh, down in or up in Madison, Wisconsin, we have Ryan Olstead from Prove It Paranormal Research. Ryan, are you with us? Yep, I'm still here. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for taking the time. And down in Meat Hook Jim's neck of the woods, Cincinnati, Ohio, we have Heidi Pulskamp with Heidi's Haunts. Heidi, are you with us? Uh, I am with you. It is great to have you here, as well as our regular hosts, including up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Um, greetings from Warwick, Rhode Island, where everything's haunted, and possibly even my computer today. <laughs> Down in the aforementioned Cincinnati, we have Meat Hook Jim. Well, as Jerry said earlier, yes, my house is haunted, and I live across the street from a cemetery. And you also have been a member of a paranormal research team, if not owned one. So we'll certainly touch into that. Uh, someone who's also had some interesting experiences while paranormal researching up in Columbus, Ohio, we have Jerry Vane. I am Zach Bagans of Columbus, Ohio, which means I have no talent and really look good on camera. But you have giant glasses. Hmm. 
My name is Drew Badger. I'm down in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have never been on an investigation in my life, so this should be very fun and interesting and educational for myself. So, to our guests, I will throw out the first question. Um, this goes out to no one in particular. What made you interested in going out and doing investigations? Was it something you wanted to do as a kid? Was it the TV shows that are popular these days? What kind of got you into it? And uh, let's start with Heidi. What made you want to be an investigator? Well, when I was a little girl, I grew up on a farm and a house that was kind of built in the Civil War. And some strange things happened in there. I always remember hearing, like, me and my sister would lay in bed together and hear, like, footsteps up and down the hallway and the stairs. And it was this, like, gigantic house. So then I got into... um, Alvin Schwartz's scary stories to tell in the dark <laughs> and it just took off from there I was hooked and you knew right then cool how about you Ryan what made you decide to get into the world of paranormal investigations um well kind of a similar story I was uh, I was I was a kid and uh, I kind of built this uh, blanket floor fort to sleep in in my bedroom and I remember waking up and I saw like a bluish green glow coming from my doorway so I pulled one of the blankets aside and I saw three full bodied apparitions in Victorian era clothing Um, I can assume they were a family because it was a male adult, female adult and then what looked like a child and the male adult actually lifted its arm to point at me as they faded away and uh, I didn't sleep the rest of the night that night and <laughs> just started looking up everything I could find about uh, anything paranormal. And I've been, it's kind of been an obsession ever since. Wow. How old were you? I was about 10. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little 10 year old going to the library, you know, checking out books on paranormal activity. You know, got a lot of weird looks, but, you know, I... It's been kind of a pursuit to find that again. So interesting. But, yeah. How about you, Chris? <laughs> what about uh, what about you? Well, just like uh, just the rest of the guests, you know, I had experiences. You know, when I was when I was younger, hearing footsteps, uh, seeing you know, you know, back then, you know, lights that I couldn't really explain. Uh, you know, hearing voices and, and, and such. Um, never really thought too much into it, you know, oh, it's probably a ghost, so it's it's probably this. Um, you know, always been interested in it, always been fascinated with it. You know, I did did a lot of research on it and stuff, but I never actually, like, went out and, and did some of this stuff. Uh, it actually wasn't until I got married, and my wife and I are sitting downstairs. We'd just been watching TV, and she turns off the TV, she turns to me, she goes, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and uh, she goes, I, I just, I wanted to tell you, I, I believe in ghosts. And I'm like, and I looked at her and I went, okay, and, <laughs> you know, waiting for the other boot to drop. And, um, you know, and we, we sat there and we talked for a long time about it. And then she looked at me and she's just like, I can't believe I've never talked to you about this. I've always been so afraid, 
to talk to you and to tell you, you know, that, that I've got this side that I've always researched and I go, well, I've done it too, but it's not something that I've ever discussed. The more and more we talked about it, the more and more we got really excited about this. And, you know, that's about the time when, you know, all the popular TV shows that were on were about ghost hunting and, and investigations and stuff. And we said, you know, we looked at each other and said, you know what, why don't we do this? Why don't we, you know, you know, get some equipment you know, find some locations and just see what we find out, you know, do the research behind it and, you know, make sure that we're doing it the right way and, and, you know, and analyzing the right way and everything. But, you know, why don't we do this together? And, and that was something that, you know, that my wife and I, you know, was a passion that we both shared. And so we just decided to do it together. Cool. Uh, Jim, I've never asked you this question. What made you get into this and and when were you primarily doing your investigations well i excuse me it was probably around uh 1999 2000 somewhere in that range i was always a skeptic about ghosts um until i went to saint augustine florida for a vacation and it changed my mind completely and the reason it is, is is my wife at the time had convinced me to take one of the uh, uh, ghost tours that they have in the city. And I had a Sony Mavica camera that recorded on the five and a half, five and a quarter inch floppy drives. So every time you took a picture, it took about five seconds to cycle. Well... We made this one stop with the tour guide, and they were talking about this. It was a beautiful bed and breakfast. It turns out it used to be a funeral home. Well, I snapped two pictures there. The first picture had a a brilliant orb with the shape of head and shoulders around it. The second picture had nothing. That one picture piqued my curiosity. I... I tore that picture apart trying to find a reasonable explanation for what I had there and to this day have not been able to solidly debunk it. What did you think it was? To me it appeared to be some kind of soldier. But we hope that noise wasn't as something there. falls over in response. <laughs> yep, <laughs> wasn't here. <laughs> that was over here. I'm looking into it. <laughs> but but well, we've debunked that one at least. But that that was. I mean, it was just. Ever since then, I've still been what I, I call myself a hopeful skeptic. And and uh, and I'm. We'll we'll talk about it later on in the show. But I've done investigations at different places and. I've got lots of different results and, you know, it's, I'm still a skeptic. I'm always looking for a logical explanation, but sometimes it doesn't always work that way. Interesting. For folks who go out and do investigations, what is something that you need to bring with you besides an open mind? I mean, obviously, you're entering a building, it's dark, or not, 
Do you need a camera? Do you need a microphone? I mean, I, I watch these TV shows and I see all kinds of equipment. I have no idea what any of it does. Words like Oculus and other crazy things. I, I don't know what these things are. What What do you do? You what, need a what, flashlight. A fresh pair of chonies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you need yeah you need a flashlight because because most important thing is you got to be safe to you know wherever you're going, so you you always need to bring yourself a flashlight. Now one of the things that we bring with us on an investigation is one that can cycle between red and white because sometimes the the white light can cause shadows when you're looking around things and can kind of play tricks with your eyes when you're in a dark room. But using something with a red light doesn't uh, um, cause the same kind of um, shadows and such that would kind of trick your mind. But, uh, you know, definitely need to bring yourself a flashlight so you can see where you're walking when you're in the dark. Sometimes flashlights end up making it harder to see. Um, You know, I know uh, when, Jim, you have said this when we've talked about it, that in the dark, once your eyes acclimate to the darkness, you end up seeing things actually clearer than you would if you had a flashlight. Right. Uh, hey. And I stand by that. However, um, the the advantages of having a red filtered light are, are very nice because they don't kill your night vision either. Yeah, that's never, true. Never. That's very true. Um, one thing I like to make sure we have with us all the time, and it's probably something a lot of people don't think about, is a first aid kit. Because we're, a lot of the times there are abandoned dangerous buildings that uh, and accidents do happen. So, I think that's a very good idea. Kind of on the same premises of safety first, you know, you need the flashlight to see where you're going and uh, a first aid kit in case you miss something. Right. Back up (laughs) additional batteries because as we've heard, the the energy from that some, you know, sometimes these spirits pull from ends up coming from your equipment. Batteries go dead and all that. I mean... We've we, yeah, I, there's I been there's been a couple times I've had brand new batteries in something in a, in a recorder, and I look down and it's dead. It's like I've been in here twenty minutes. There's no reason why brand new batteries should have gone dead in twenty minutes. Yeah, and I when I play when, and when I played it back, I hear uh, uh, there's been a couple times I played it back and heard a electrostatic discharge. You know, like static, and then dead. So yeah, something something you know they definitely i never used to believe that oh you know when the spirit manifests or something like that it's pulling energy from whatever it's around you whether it be electronics or whatever i never used to believe that i'm like oh come on seriously when you actually experience it yeah then you're going okay i got it now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and to your what you guys were talking about as far as you know being able to see and everything and also seeing in the dark you know, Jim has mentioned, you know, Jim had mentioned that, you know, have experiencing some strange things. And I've been to his house. <laughs> and uh, I stayed there uh, and I saw things moving without reason. You know, there's no air conditioner on, there's no heater, there's no fans. Why is that moving? 
I've heard things walking up and down the stairs. His house is just the, you know, the Amer- Mall of America ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> There's some funky stuff in there. Okay. And I'm not just talking about the decorations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, just the, uh, guys, I think Heidi wanted to chime in on here. Absolutely. Yeah, Go ahead, I Heidi. Really, I was just going to say, I was out on an investigation. Uh, Jim's probably familiar with this location, actually, and the story behind it. It's uh, Lucy Run Road Cemetery. Yep. Are you familiar with that, Jim? I am. Yeah. We were out there doing an investigation and had brand new AA batteries in my Nikon camera, and they completely just pooped out after five minutes of being there. So I was going to say the battery thing is a great idea. Carry extra batteries. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, batteries actually explode on us before. I, for no wow. apparent reason. Yeah. Um, I wasn't part of the group, but we do have an episode that shows that. And, uh, yeah, they were doing an uh, experiment and... Uh, I just heard this really gross, like sizzling, gurgling noise, <laughs> and wow. and they checked because they were, uh, I don't know, it's compl- it's a pretty complicated experience. It's a, a binaural. Uh, basically, they played this track that played a certain sound that's supposed to stimulate paranormal activity, activity, and. Within a few minutes of them playing this track, that's when the batteries exploded. So, wow, um, we weren't able to prove if that was paranormal or not, but it's still a pretty weird occurrence. Was it in the device that was creating the noise, or was it in a device? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, the boombox that we were playing the track on. Hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, but going, you know, going back to the original, the original question you know what piece of equipment would, would we recommend to bring on an investigation uh, you know in order in order to be able to catch evidence and analyze it thoroughly uh, I would highly recommend a, a stereo audio recorder you know cameras are cameras are great um, but the likelihood of catching something on you know on film is very unlikely but when you're walking around and you've got an audio recorder, that's going continuously. You're you're going to pick up things that you may may not necessarily have heard, uh, or it might be communication that you can't hear because it's it's being set at a different uh, a different audio frequency. But when the recorder picks it up, it will replay it back in the um, you know in the frequency that that we can't hear in. But having it as a stereo recorder is so important because it records on on two channels. If you've got a recorder that's just your normal, you know, twenty, thirty dollar recorder from the store, most likely it's a single channel mono recorder, and that can cause a lot of distortions, and it doesn't record as clearly as one that uh, is a is a stereo audio recorder. So, you know, if you're just starting out and you want to do some investigating, my recommendation would be to get yourself a good stereo audio recorder to uh, to to try and do some EVP research. So the little handhelds that you see on Ghost Adventure and um, all those different shows on the Travel Channel, 
I mean, I I've, I used a, uh, one of those uh, when I went to the Ohio State Reformatory, uh, and uh, Storm's uh, wife was with me at the time, and yeah, there's a lot of distortion, but we 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 did pick up some things that we definitely knew were not in the area. So, but yeah, the ones that the ones I picked up on because Drew and I both have stereo uh, digital recorders. The one, uh, the one that I have has picked. I've picked up uh, stuff um, at uh, when we were at this old Scaratorium haunted attraction, and I was doing a walkthrough there. Just it was just a video visual walkthrough, but I had the recorder going just for the hell of it. We picked up something that we. St- I mean, I played it for Kelly, the owner. He, we can't explain what the hell it is. You know, I do you, want to remind you. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just—I was just going to say, you know, you—you you made a comment that you know, you guys were doing your setup and everything, and you just had an audio recorder just going for the heck of it. I can tell you that that we always would start recording with audio recorders, at, you know, as soon as we started to set up, because a lot of the times that's when we got the most of our most of our our activity was during the initial setup. We would capture so many different EVPs during the initial setup. It was it was really odd. Mm. Very cool. I do want to remind you all that you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary Show. We are talking paranormal investigating wherever it may be with our guests Heidi Pulskamp, Ryan Olstead, and Christopher Presley, our normal hosts. We're going to take a very short break here to pay a bill or two, and we'll be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. And welcome back to the Roundtable of Terror, folks. We are talking paranormal investigations, the other haunters out there. With our special guests, Chris Presley, Ryan Olstad, Heidi Pulskamp, our usual hosts. And I'm going to throw this out, and I just want, you know, everybody to just chime in. Tell me what this is. Everybody talks about getting evidence. What exactly is the evidence that you guys are searching for when you are going out and doing an investigation? Uh, well, we anything that we caught on video, any uh, strange movement of objects, we just want to look for uh any uh, voices on our audio recorders is a big one. And that's the biggest part of our evidence. Um, just voices that aren't us. We we tag every uh, noise we make in the field, so not to get it confused with something paranormal. Yeah, I would I would say you know any anything that we're, what we're looking for is anything that can't be explained. So if we capture uh, something on video, something on on a photograph, or something on audio, uh, you know, we try our best to 
explain what that is if if it if we can, um, and then if not, then we 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 move to something that might be considered paranormal. That's that's what we're looking for. I would okay. have to agree with Jim, that. Jim, when you were going out looking, what were you looking for? Um, let's let Heidi uh, field this right now. I'll follow up. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I would agree with that. I'm looking for orbs, uh, EVPs, anything that just you cannot explain it. And you go through the EVPs and you listen back. And, okay, that I can explain that I can't, you know, anything unexplainable that does not belong there that can't be explained away. What is the percentage of, uh, you know, when you, uh, you, you know, you're doing your investigations, what is the percentage of audio over photographs or video? I mean, do you end up getting more photographic evidence, video evidence, or is it more audio evidence? For me, say, oh, go ahead. No, no. I was, I was going to say, for me, it's, it's more audio evidence. You know, we've had video cameras. You know, we have the, you know, the, the infrared, you know, security cameras set up. We have the, you know, the, the infrared, you know, video cameras set up. We have uh, pictures, you know, we're constantly taking pictures. But uh, I would say, you know, eight, 90% of the evidence that we capture is audio. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. You know, out of all the cameras that we have placed everywhere, just it just seems like they'd rather talk than show themselves. Is what it seems like a lot of the times. If they even have the ability to show themselves. Right, right. So, yeah, I'd have to agree yeah. with that. About 90% audio, 10% visual. The reason why I ask is, um, back in 2016... Uh, Halloween season 2016 my wife and I flew out from Las Vegas which was where we were living at the time we flew out uh, here to meet up with my daughter and uh, that was the weekend of the um, the Scarefest in uh, down in uh, Lexington yep it, and we were with stay with my daughter for, for a couple days before heading down to Kentucky and we went to the Scaratorium here in Columbus and my daughter and her husband are skeptics. You know, they're just like, you, know, you bring it up like, ah, ha, 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 yeah, whatever. Well, her husband refused to go near the bathroom. He refused, he had to pee like it was nobody's business. He'd rather wet himself than go anywhere near the bathroom because of the feel, the, how creepy it was in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, he ran... And finally, he couldn't. He couldn't hold it anymore, and I went with him. And um, I'm Wiccan, and my wife is pagan. So when he went in, I just stood outside the door, and I just, you know, very quietly said, "You're not allowed in here. Please keep your distance." Well, that went over like a fart in church, because he went running out of the room like my five-year-old grandson. So. But when we got, we decided to take a, you know, and even my daughter was getting weird feelings from this. But so when we decided to take a group photo in the in the haunt, I had my iPhone on, auto, on uh, not automatic, but you know I turned the flash on. So when you take a picture, flash comes on. Period. No ifs, ands, buts. We took five photos. Flash didn't come on once. I tested it before, and I tested it after. 
wouldn't come on once. All the pictures are blurry. We went outside. Let's try to get another one. We took one shot with uh, one of the actors, Marco. In the picture, there is a white mist floating between Marco and my daughter. Um, it was not cold outside. You couldn't see anyone's breath. Nobody was smoking. There was no smoke coming out. There was nothing. Dead air. There is, in that picture, smoke. Or something. Can't explain it to save my ass. But it definitely is a cool story. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting you bring up bring up fog and smoke. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you a little... Uh, uh, Little experience I had with that during an investigation. We were we were doing a, a personal home investigation. The the client, you know, complained of you know hearing noises, hearing voices, seeing apparitions, uh, you know, capturing pictures of, of spirits in her backyard, and and you know one of that being kind of like a, a fog or a mist or something. So my partner and I um, went out and kind of walked into their into their backyard, which was a, a very heavily wooded area. Uh, while my wife stayed back with the client. You know, we're out, we're walking, we're doing the EVP session, and then out of nowhere, this fog just kind of rolls in. Now, this was in this was in August, and in North Carolina and this area, it's not, it's not common for a fog to just kind of roll in. Um, but this fog, you know, but this fog just kind of, kind of started rolling in, and it was just like, this is just really, really weird. You know, so we're sitting here, and we just stopped while we were in this fog, and we were talking, we are trying to get EVPs, and then the fog left in the same direction it came from. So it came in from right to left. When it, le- when it left, it, it left from left to right. And I, I'm standing there, I'm standing there with, with, uh, you know, with my partner, and I'm like, are you seeing this? The fog's going back in the opposite direction. It just so that that I mean it, I mean that still you know gives me goosebumps and shivers because that's not something I've ever been able to explain as to as to why that happened. I mean, I will double that. It never is foggy in the evenings down here. Fog comes in maybe four or five a.m. and I never see it coming in the evenings. So yeah, this and this was this was eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, not a oh, natural wow. phenomenon in North Carolina. Huh. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and another thing about, uh, back to the, I did catch one piece of visual evidence that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, we were investigating this house, and I was performing an EVP session and I had my camera fixed on one of the devices that were in front of me. I believe it was a K2 meter, uh, Aria, uh, the uh, REM, I think they're called, the circular disc with the antenna that makes noise when someone breaks the uh, the field surrounding the antenna. Yeah, the REM, uh, REM the pod. The REM, REM pod, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I couldn't think of it for some reason. <laughs> well, uh, well, it was theorized that a uh, young boy that worked in a paper mill, actually, that lived at the house, died at his job. He was uh, actually crushed by the paper mill. 
so I came up with the experiment, okay, uh, you know, no one works for free, so I kind of bribed him. I put a dollar on the floor next to the REM pod and um, started trying to open communication. And we got it on camera. He did it. The REM pod did get set off. And around the same time, you hear me in the video say, hey, I think I just caught a light anomaly because what I witnessed was just, just a white, bright, just flash real quick like the camera flash and we went and reviewed the video footage and there was a little light anomaly but it only appeared on camera like a little pin needle or it you know uh so it was just a little blip light on the camera but to my eyes it looked much bigger and much more pronounced and brighter which i thought was interesting Yeah, that's uh, that's actually something. Uh, th you you brought up something I want to ask the rest of the panel, um, because I myself have gotten evidence when um, I try to play towards the time period. So you know, you said you'd put a, a dollar bill down. You know, nobody works for free. You know, if we're doing an investigation and you know they think it's a little child, we'll put some toys out and hey, hey, why don't you come over? Why don't you play with the toys? You know. You know, I heard you like a ball. I heard you like teddy bears. I heard you like a dolly or something, and and, and you know, play that or even play period time music if it's a, you know, a, you know, you know, particular era that you think that the you know what you're trying to communicate with, um, you know, comes from. Have has anybody else on the panel done something similar to that? Use a period time piece or use props in order to, you know, gain a, a response. Yeah, I mean, I tend to do it on a good majority of investigations. I, I'm a big fan of the trigger object theory, and um, um, I mean, nine times out of ten, I get pretty good responses using a trigger object of some kind. I have used a ball before. Um, there was one I actually brought a rose for the uh, the spirit that was supposed to haunt the area. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of the trigger object. Well, I've got to say that. Any, how about you? Go ahead, Heidi. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've never really used props or anything like that to get anything out. But I was going to say, uh, see Run Road Cemetery. We did. There was like a group of us out, and we did try, because we know there's children buried there and stuff. We did try to coax kids to come out and play. And after about three hours, we went home and played back the, you know, the digital recordings. And you could hear child laughter in one of those recordings. So that was pretty cool. Excellent. Um... I myself have never been, uh, I'm not being a big fan of trigger objects, but that doesn't mean I don't understand it and that I'll never do it. But I did get a reaction once at uh, the former West Virginia State Penitentiary at Moundsville. And uh, we were in, uh, it was me and my ex-wife, we were in the psychiatric part of the uh, hospital wing and 
she was shooting film or camera you know she had a digital camera and I had my recorder in my pocket and she loves orbs and I'm you know I said there's just too many things that can cause an orb you have to really scrutinize it um, but she said something you can hear uh, the pocket recorder was in my pocket and you know as I listened to the to the audio playback she's like look I got another orb and I distinctly hear an ethereal voice say what what did you get oh wow Wow. Yeah. Can I explain it? No. But I know it wasn't my <laughs> voice because you would have heard me right next to the microphone. Hmm. Hmm. So Well that was like it that was like at the, the the audio that we got from um uh the the, the Bozeman building. Right. Uh, out there by uh, Ohio State Reformatory out in Mansfield. You know, we've got that. We have the audio, and you hear me get. You hear what? I'll back it up. We were in the basement. In the basement of the building it, during the uh, Prohibition era, they this is where they used to take people who welched on their bets to deal with the problem, so to speak. And also, the body of a little girl was found inside a pickle. Uh, barrel. Well, we were listening to the the, ho- the, the host of the, uh, the the guide, and I'm standing there. And Allison uh, Storm's wife was probably about ten feet behind me or so, and something yanked my hair on the left side, and she actually saw it. So did the guide. And the thing is, what we did not catch is right before my hair got pulled, I heard a giggle. And it was as clear as if my granddaughter was standing in front of me. But never got, never caught it on audio, but my hair got pulled. And yeah, you know, we stopped everything right then. You know, I thought she had run up behind me to kind of, you know, be, be goofy. There's no way she could have run across, run across 10 feet, yanked my hair and he ran back in the time it took me to turn around. And uh, so, you know, like I said, I could have, I heard a giggle. So, you know, when some of these things, you know, it's just really bizarre how, you know, with all these equipment, the naked ear picks up something that electronics don't hear. You know, it's, it's just kind of like, it almost makes you feel like, well, that was meant for you. Not for them to hear. That's for you. That makes any sense? No, it it makes perfect it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, because our brains are are hardwired a little differently than electronic devices, so we we can pick up on on things um, a lot, you know, a lot more than what an audio recorder can. You know, because you know there's there's a lot of of investigators out there, and and I kind of. Uh, understand this this concept uh, as well as you know within our own bodies we conduct we conduct an electrical field you know and um, you know this this is an energy field that certain certain spirits can feed off of and, and use and um, just as these spirits can interact with an audio recorder 
and you know there's there's uh, investigators that believe that the spirit is not actually speaking, but they are affecting the electronic uh, electronic device in a way that you know imprints their their voice onto this device. It's essentially the same concept that a spirit is is manipulating our own electrical field to manipulate our senses so that we might hear something that you know only we can hear or that we can understand because it's only happening to us. It's not something that that can be heard out loud. Now, granted, like I said, this is a not a very common, um, I don't want to say belief, but uh, you know, uh, you know, something that um, that too many paranormal investigators, you know, take stock in. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But uh, it's something that that I I personally kind of you know it, it does explain uh it can explain um some types of activity that only we can we can we can perceive have you guys ever had situations where you've been doing an investigation and and i'm going to use some of these shows that are on the travel channel that you see these guys run out of there with, like they're ready to wet themselves have you ever had an experience where you've been investigating where something happened and you're like, F this, I'm gone later? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yep. Please, Absolutely. Go, in, go into detail. Go ahead, You Heidi. go ahead, Heidi. Well, yep. It's kind of like, it's kind of off subject a little bit from paranormal, but it's related still. So... Like, five years ago, I watched somebody get in a car accident off of 75. Their car rolled down an embankment onto Kemper Road. Literally happened right in front of me. Like, I watched them get ejected through the windshield. Like, everything happened in front of me. And I had nightmares for the longest time. But after that happened, I swear, every time I would get in my car, you, I don't know if anybody can relate to this, like, you just feel like something's there, and it's watching you, and I would turn around, and I could have sworn I seemed like a black shadow every time, and this went on and on and on, and this lady that was supposed to be, like, a psychic medium told me because it was so tragic and you watch that happen, it could be something called spiritual attachment. So she told me to go to the site and say like a certain prayer and do like a sage blessing. And I don't know, after that, it never happened anymore. I didn't like feel that presence or see that black shadow. It was just like a black shadowy mass after that happened. Excuse me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. It was a rather loud motorcycle. Huh. That was uh, probably the scariest and best story I have. Well, it is, I, I'm fascinated by this story, really. Um, yeah. And everything, uh, after you did the thing she asked you to do, it never bothered you again. Uh, well, I never felt like a presence anymore that was, like, with me or saw, like, the black. That's what it was, I guess. A black shadowy mass. Like okay. a big shadow following you around. Can I make a suggestion so 
you can help this from uh, well, let's hope it never happens again but in the case it does something to help you keep that at bay yeah do you yeah. wear any silver yes I do okay keep it on you all the time silver is a I've good heard, deterrent I've heard that too yeah yeah when I got married, uh, my wife gave me a uh, silver uh, pentacle, and I've had that on me every day since I got it until the accident happened. I was in a car accident a year ago, and I haven't had it on since then uh, because there was damage to the clasp, and I haven't gotten replaced. Probably explains why there's so much weird crap going on in this house. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I I have my mic muted. and I'm talking to my wife, and she's reminding you. Tell me about some of the stuff that we've dealt with since we've been together. And I wanted to have her come on and, and talk about it, but she. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna push that boundary. Um, but yeah, there there are some things we've dealt with since we've been together. Um, uh, we had a little girl. Who, who died in the apartment we lived in in Las Vegas follow us all the way to Columbus and her parents were Wiccan and they and the, the house our place my wife's relaying this while I'm sitting here um, the place we lived in actually had a protection on it and anybody that was not allowed into the house tripped on the fourth step on the stairs going up to the apartment and I don't think I've told you this, Jim or Drew or any, or anything. Um, I when she first told me this, I'm like, yeah, this is way out. No, nah, I don't know about this. Yeah, okay, maybe it's too many shots of fireball. And then <laughs> one night, um, one night, uh, I woke up during the middle of the night. There are 13 people standing around my bed. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Pardon my French, and I'll have to bleep this out. So that it, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then she goes, oh, yeah, by the way, did I tell you? Um, you know, there's 13 people standing in our, in our bedroom. And that was pretty weird. Then um, I kept getting a feeling over in the corner of our dining room. I know this feeling. I know this feeling. I know this person, but I couldn't explain it. And through a very long story short, started piecing things together, asking questions and getting answers. Um, it was my dead brother. My brother's oh. been dead since 1969. Mm. He lived a month and a half old. And it was my brother. And he has been watching over me this whole time. I always knew he was in the room, but I never put two and two together because I didn't believe in that. And now, it's quite common to see something walking across the room, seeing, <laughs> hearing somebody walking in the hallway. Hey, there's an asshole standing over there in the corner. Uh, Jim? Yep. I understand why you drink now. <laughs> <laughs> and this is stuff I have never told Jim. I've never told you this. What? You know, I mean, we, you know, uh, the the house that the apartment that my ex wife used to live in, right, had a portal in it. Really? And that was opened by witches. And unfortunately, her kid decided to mess with stuff that should he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. 
but are his kids a witch too? But a young witch learning, you know, you you got the growing pains of a, of a, going from a child to an adult witch. But the bottom line is, there's been some weird crap. <laughs> and I mentioned the little girl that followed me from Vegas to here. Oh, her I remember name is Evelyn. her. Her name is Evelyn. Evelyn would, when I I'm now one thing about me, and I don't you know that you guys probably don't know, I'm a musician. Um, I do music for the haunted attraction industry, and I was working on an album, and I'm trying to put in different elements of orchestra music, blah 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 blah. Um, whenever I would play music, I would feel a hand on my right hand. Didn't matter if I was on the on the desk, on the keyboard, on the guitar. There'd be a hand on my hand. And one day I was in my studio and I'm trying to play something and I'm teaching myself how to play piano at the time. And I heard this humming, a little girl humming a melody. And I started playing it on the piano. And that ended up becoming the song Empty Inside on my album Black Moon Asylum. Well, we moved here. I started hearing another melody. But every time I heard this melody, I broke down into tears. Didn't understand it. Couldn't figure it out. And I finally played the melody on my, on my piano, played it and recorded it. And it was almost catharsis to get it out. And what I found out was this was the last thing she'd heard from her mother sing to her before she died. Mm. And by putting that to paper, so to speak. She's gone. That was the last thing she needed to do. So for people who sit there and say, oh, dude, you've had too many fire, you know, fireball and rum chattas. I'm drinking water. This yeah. happened and it's it, it, some of these experiences and you guys can probably attest this. Some of these experiences just change your whole perception. Because up until then, I didn't believe this in this crap at all. And now, um, it's quite common. I'll be sitting here in the living room watching TV, and somebody goes walking through the room. Okay, well, you know what? Yeah, the movie theater's across the street. Have a good time. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got, you got you know, partial apparitions walking through our living room. Jim's seen stuff. Jim had a peanut butter bottle move across the table for no reason. And he asked him to have it move. Go ahead, move that peanut butter bottle. Fucking thing moved. <laughs> I be bitch. I'm out of here. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, his jaw dropped. He looked at me and says, "Dude, I'm done." My 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 wife is like a magnet to these things. And it, now having say that, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It, it's nah, it. Yeah. She's just she's just you know she attracts them. Yeah. You know, and you know they're you know they're you know. We've had, I, she was sitting there telling me one day, oh, there's this little black ball on the stairway. What? I'm, what? I'm thinking, what, the, the cat, cat you know, the dog, you know, cat, cat got my hairball? What are you talking about? And then I saw it move. Okie dokie then. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it, 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 some of the things you just can't explain. But to what you guys were saying earlier about the, a lot of these areas being magnets for energy from whatever's happened in that area, the place we used to live in, um, the place we used to live in over in Canal Winchester and here in Columbus, uh, 
was actually a battlefield during um, uh, the Civil War. And we have one of the largest contingents of, of African-American soldiers in Ohio. In that area. And forgive me the squeaking, my dog's playing with his uh, ball. Um, so it was quite common to see to hear cannon fire for no point for no reason whatsoever and my wife and I would be outside and my, like I said my dog's playing with the ball sorry um, we'd be outside and we would we would see men in confederate clothes with a gun partial body apparitions walking through our yard across the parking lot and then disappear <laughs> quite common and it, oh and oh yeah, and we had the lady. My wife's listening to when we talk. We had the lady in white. The lady in white would walk through our living room every night, and then later on in the evening would actually walk through our front yard. But what was different about this one is this one would actually stop whenever we had the dog outside and just stare at the dog. And both of us could swear we saw her smile at the dog. I, now, is that true? I don't know. It could be a playlight. I don't know, because these are imprints on on, on you know, these are imprints of what used to be there. Do they have actual cognitive to understand what's going on? I don't know, but I could swear to God that damn thing stopped and looked at the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna. That, there's my two cents into this. So, yeah. What's your, what's your what are your guys' opinions on that compared to your experiences? Um, well, you know, I wanted to, to answer the question about have I have I um, ever been on on a, a case or something where I've just said nope, I'm out, kind of thing. And and I I, I whenever I go into an investigation, I, I like to consider myself an open-minded skeptic. Is I want to believe, I do believe, but I want to make sure that there's no plausible explanation to what's going on before I go. Yep, that's something that's paranormal. Um, and I've never really had any kind of an experience. I've, I've maybe been touched once, but at the, in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, was it real? That was I really touched, or did I brush up against something, or was there just a breeze and it made the hair on my arm move, and it just felt like something like that? You know, lots of doubts in my mind about what it really was. So I've never been on a case where I have gone, nope, I'm, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. But um, when, uh, when I was at a convention in January in New Orleans, we were walking along the French Quarter. And we happened to go into one of the stores that specializes in, uh, you know, which items i forget I, I forget the name of the store but it's actually you know it's it's a well-known uh a store there in the french quarter that sells witch and 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 wiccan you know books and supplies and stuff like that and they were doing live tarot readings in three or four different areas and i walked into the store and i'm just kind of looking around and all of a sudden i just got this strong feeling of dread and then I felt like my life, it was just odd. I couldn't explain it. I felt like my life was in danger. And I'm looking around, and then, then as I'm looking around, I start getting real groggy. I start kind of feeling very faint. Um, and we had just eaten a few minutes, you know, before we went to the to the store. So I knew it wasn't, you know, I don't know, I'm not hungry or blood sugar's low or anything like that. 
and I'm just looking around, and I'm just like, no, I've like, I've got to get out of here. There's something wrong. I've got to get out of here. And the moment I stepped out of that store, everything was back to normal. I was, I didn't feel faint anymore. I did. I don't know if maybe they were burning some kind of incense that was messing with me. I don't know what it was, but I have never, ever in my entire life felt like that. Like I was just, it, like the life was just being drained out of me. And the moment I left that store, it was, I, it was like somebody flipped a switch and I was back to normal. I, 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 that's just not something that I can explain, but that was a, that was a situation where I said, nope, I'm out of here. A storm. You've been kind of quiet this conversation. Uh, you live up in one of the more, shall we say, haunted areas of the country. I know you and I have been to Salem together from Legendary and have been to the old graveyards there and everything. Have you ever had an unexplained experience? I know, you know, Jerry has talked about he and your wife had gone off and done that investigation at MHC a few years back. But how about you? Have you been in some kind of historical place and had something very unexplained happen to you? No, not something like that. You know, with, with working in the haunted attraction industry, you know, I'm in Warwick, Rhode Island. So really famous for the ghost hunters. You know, their their office was right down the street from me. You know, you'd see them around town and stuff. Uh, it, it's New England. Uh, literally everything is a thousand years old and haunted. Uh, one of the founding fathers of Rhode Island is buried about mm, 20 feet from my backyard. Um, you know, just up the street. And I joke with my wife when weird stuff happens, like Malmar plates go flying off the top of the fridge and break while she's in the shower. You know, I, I'm telling her, oh, you know, she's like, I don't know how that happened, and it's not the cat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's a ghost of Samuel Groton. Um, but as for, you know, I, I, I really haven't gone in on too many ghost hunts or anything. The historical places I go with a lot of group tours is haunting stuff because, you know, as a haunter and having built haunts and that type of thing, you know, if, if I never joined a group or did anything with that, even though I'm really interested in it, uh, and I'm a bit skeptical, uh, you know, I'd, I'd always consider, well, if I joined a group and, you know, one of the things I do is professionally make things to trick people into that paranormal uh, experience, you know, does that discount a group if I'm a haunter and working closely with it? So I never really got that involved, uh, but haven't really had anything on a tour or, you know, anything really historic that's really jumped out. And I've been at some different creepy old places uh, because, again, you know, New England. And even growing up in New Jersey, a very historical city I grew up in, in New Jersey, where Governor, uh, you know, Ulysses S. Grant had a house and Ben Franklin wandered around, that type of things. Uh, just, you know, little personal experiences and stuff. You know, possibly relatives looking in on me, that type of thing. But no, not the true, you know, ooh, that was scary, or the, you know, the as they call it, the holy grail, the full frontal, you know, body uh, uh, thing. But I, I haven't really effectively gone looking either. So you know, the, holy girl, the holy grail full frontal, that was your bachelor party, right? <laughs> no, my, my bachelor party was lame and involved a lot of axes, and which you know, again, New England Lizzie board. What were you? What were you? Were you cutting firewood for the winter? What are you? <laughs> no, I was getting drunk and throwing axes with my father. I am so glad I wasn't there. 
Hey, Storm, you know, you, you made a comment uh, where you said, you know, being working in this industry and, or, you know, in the in the professional haunted house industry and you're 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 making things that would kind of make people think they're having some kind of a paranormal experience. And would that discount discount you? Actually, that would make you extremely valuable in a team because you know how something like that could could make something that's you know seem paranormal but it actually isn't so it gives you a little bit more of an analytical mind absolutely Um, and and that's one of the things too you know that that's my initial thoughts when some of these you know you're initially exposed to some of these shows like when ghost hunters and stuff first came out then you find out that there are more levels of it that's not just the the people going to a house and doing it there's the historical researchers and you know one of the very valuable things to a uh, paranormal investigation team would be somebody who could uh figure out the debunking and figure out the stuff especially as you start seeing you know some of the people who will hoax something for attention and i guess that's that's one of the questions and might be a good segue uh, to something I asked. Have any of you dealt with a client or a case or anything where someone was trying to intentionally hoax you? No, uh, not, not necessarily uh, hoax us per se, but yeah. they had evidence that they were so thoroughly convinced was paranormal that when we were able to recreate it, and essentially debunk this evidence, they got upset. You know, they got, oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. You know, I had a client where she took a picture in her backyard, and there was this blue flame uh, kind of a figure standing in her backyard. And she swore that this was the spirit that was haunting her house. Now, when I looked at at the picture... And I kind of analyzed everything that was going on in the picture. I noticed something a little odd. And so I asked her where she was standing when she took the picture. And she said she was standing right up next to the door, uh, the door that that led outside. And I said, were you standing right here? And she said, yes, I was. So I took three consecutive pictures. And each time I got almost the exact same result. And what was happening is that the flash of her camera was right next to the white aluminum siding of her exterior door. So what it was doing was it was causing a flash flare and picking up the blue spectrum of light, and it was displaying that right in the middle of her of her yard. Oh. But when I was able to recreate it three times, like there was one picture I took, and there were three, three flame figurines in the yard. And then I took another picture, and there was one, but it was a little bit farther to the right. And then I took another one, and it was a little bit of a different color, and a little bit further to the left. And each time it was because when I took the picture, I kind of moved my hand a little bit. So the angle of the flash off of the aluminum siding was a little different, and so it prismed differently. Hmm. But the moment I saw that on my digital camera, I immediately went over to my computer, and I, and I asked her, and I said, is this what you're talking about? And, oh, my gosh, you caught them too. I said, no, I actually recreated it. You know, and I explained what I did. I said, this is what I tried to do, and... Um, this is the result I got. So more than likely, because I'm able to recreate this, the image that you got might be the same thing. So I wasn't necessarily telling her the picture that she had was not of a spirit in her, in her yard. But what I was telling her is that because I'm able to recreate it, it it's a possibility that that's not what that is. But she was so thoroughly convinced 
and so hurt at the fact that I didn't believe that this picture that she had taken was the spirit. She got rather offended. She got a little upset. And, um, you know, throughout the rest of the investigation, you could tell that she was ready to defend any and all experiences that she was having that, oh, this is paranormal. You can't explain this kind of kind of a scenario. And then when we went back with our evidence and we said, here's something that we've caught, but here's how we were able to explain it. You know, I just I don't know why I called you people here, you know, so, you know, so like I said, deliberately trying to hoax us. No, but not keeping an open mind. Yeah. They wanted to believe that what they were seeing was definitely paranormal. Exactly. And and not because of anything they may have done inadvertently. Exactly. Exactly. And they wanted a, they wanted a team to come in and prove them right. And they wanted a team to come in and believe everything that we that they said was was true. And you know, when we went into the investigation, this is what we took. We so said we come in and we try to look at every man-made possibility that we can possibly think of. And if we can't think of it and we can't figure anything out, we send it out into the community. We allow other investigators to analyze our work. And if they can't figure anything out, if they can't explain it, that's when we kind of go, hmm, maybe they, maybe we have something here. <clears throat> and um, But no, that's, you know, that's not what she wanted. She wanted somebody to come in and, and just believe, you know, believe them, believe her, you know, 100%. Oh, yeah, you definitely got something paranormal here. So, you know, we just, you got to watch out for those kind of people when, uh, you know, when you go on these, you know, personal client kind of investigations. That's interesting. I've heard so many stories where people are so protective of their thing. Even other investigators, <clears throat> I've, I've heard an interview where this person was convinced that he had a Latin phrase being spoken by a disembodied voice and he had linguists translated it and it was saying it's my baby save it and you know the the one producer on the radio show you know listens to it and he's going wait a minute that sounds familiar and what it was the guy had used a audio program to clean up his audio and the audio was AVS media Mm-hmm. So in the background underneath, because he hadn't paid for the program, it was dropping the watermark AVS Media Demo. And he thought it was a disembodied voice saying AVS Media Demo. But, you know, it wasn't Latin. It was AVS Media Demo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it clearly, you know, the, the producer even played it from the place's website. And it is exactly the same. And the guy wouldn't even go, oh, yeah, maybe that's it. It, you know, mm-hmm. the, the people get so, you know, uh, even investigators are getting so, um, you know, it's just yeah. ownership I, of that type of thing. Yeah, you know, back in the back in the day, uh, you know, people would submit evidence on on the the TAPS forum, which was you know, uh, you know, the ghost hunters, mm. uh, you know, website and forum and everything, and somebody had submitted a picture of this shadow creature that they caught in this church in three different locations and they'd take a picture and it was there and then they take another picture and it wasn't there and they took another one and another one another one and it wasn't there which is what you're technically supposed to do when you're doing an investigation you take photographs in succession to see if you know if it's continually there or if it moves or if it's there once and it's there not you know and it disappears again and he caught this two or three times but every time he caught it it was in the exact same location so I asked him, what kind of camera does he use? And he told me, you know, the, the camera that he uses. And it was one with a, you know, not a telephoto lens, but a pretty, you know, a little bit of a long lens. 
and the flash right on top. It was one of those pop-up flashes oh. right on top. Well, a lot of the times when people, you know, hold those cameras, they hold the lens. And if you sometimes when you hold the lens, you might hold your index finger up, and you take the picture. And so I have I didn't have the exact same camera, but I had something that was similar to it, and I tested it. And I came out with the same result. It was in the exact same location. It was the exact same shape. It was the exact same everything. So I proposed it as a potential cause of, you know, what he had caught. You know, is it p possible that you raised your finger at one time when you took the picture and then you took another picture and you didn't have your finger raised? Because here are these pictures that I, that, that I took and it kind of looks the same. Hmm. And the other investigators, oh, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. A lot of the other investigators that were on that forum agreed with me and said, no, I think he might be, uh, no, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's absolutely wrong. You know, so they, you know, there are investigators out there that can get very defensive over the, over the evidence that they've captured, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, that's fine. But at the same time, you know, be open-minded and, you know, be open to other people's, uh, you know, because there might be somebody out there that has more experience analyzing a particular type of evidence, which is why anytime I send evidence out there into the world going, here's something that I've caught, I welcome any and every, you know, critique of this because I might not have thought of something that somebody else can, you know, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you got to be able to take constructive criticism if you're going to be in this business, too, <laughs> and take other people's advice and opinion. Absolutely. Well, since you guys are talking about you know you know constructive criticism and you know facts versus hype and all that, and we've all made mention about uh, about this. What is your opinion about all these shows, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters? I'm sorry. When did Jack Osborne get his own paranormal show? You know uh, what? What he's what on like his third one. Yeah, now he's got his parents in because the other one, the other two bombed. Um, of, of all these, you know, of all these uh, paranormal shows, uh, you know, the, there was that one in England. Um, you know, I don't remember the, uh, the name of it, but uh, I'm sure you guys have seen these. What is there any credibility to these at all, or is it strictly strictly for you know ratings? I think some of a lot of them are for ratings and over exaggerated, but I will tell you one that I really thoroughly enjoy. And the reason I thoroughly enjoy it is because you've got one guy on one side that's a total skeptic that does not believe in it at all. And he will do everything in his power to debunk everything and, you know, research and evidence and all this stuff. And then on the other side, you got the guy it's like I totally believe in it and oh my god everything freaks me out and I'm so scared um, and that's the um, BuzzFeed Unsolved I don't know if you guys have seen that or not but that's a really great one and they make an awesome team and actually one time they went to Waverly and the skeptic guy the guy that doesn't believe in it all he actually said yes there is like something to Waverly like it really freaked him out, and that was the only time I've seen him scared. Yeah, um, 
I, I have to agree that you know a lot of the the ghost hunting shows on TV now, it's all for ratings. You know, I will say that you know ghost you know um, ghost hunters with uh, with Jay and um, Tango and Steve, you know they they're doing it they're doing it right. But at the same time, what they're doing right now that you see on the show is for ratings. You know, and um, you know, and a bunch of the other shows that are out there, you know, they're doing it right, but again, they're doing it for ratings. I personally cannot stand Ghost Adventures. And the reason I say that is that the guy that leads these investigations is dangerous. You know, he goes out there and he's yelling at these things and, you know, you know come out here, show me, you, you know... Show me that you're here. I don't believe that you're here. Why don't you come out here and push me? Why don't you come out here and scratch me? Why don't you come out here and, you know, physically assault me or whatever? Every, and, and there are people out there that want to get into paranormal investigating, and they will emulate what he does. And the thing is, is yeah. there's, there's stuff out here that some people might believe in, some people don't. But there's, there's stuff out here that is dangerous. And if you give it permission to physically assault you... It may not physically assault you, but it could do something worse. It can attach itself to you. It can affect you emotionally, uh, or it can affect you physically. And people that go out there and do that, they're just asking themselves for problems down the road. And that's you know, and that's one of the reasons I just cannot stand that show because what he does is dangerous. Does he get? I agree. Uh, does he get results? Yeah, he does get some results. You know, again, is it for ratings? Yeah, it's absolutely for ratings. But at the same time, people are going to emulate it, and people are going to get hurt. And that's, you know, again, that's just my opinion. But, um, you know, that's, yeah, I, I just, I do not like what he does. I agree, I'm not a fan either. He takes it way too far, and like you said, you used a great word. It is dangerous, because people will try to copycat that. Well, that's like, I mean, you know, that sudden turnover they had on the show. One minute you've got, you know, Zach, Nick, and Aaron. All of a sudden, literally out of the loop, Nick's gone. And now you got Billy and uh, and uh, uh, Jason or whatever his name is. Um, and I read an interview and he basically said, and Nick said flat out, uh, Zach is, is, has taken something that was supposed to be about discovering the paranormal, researching the paranormal, and now it's turned it into ratings and making money off of it. And he goes, he's put me at danger. He's put Aaron at danger. He's put our families at danger. And he doesn't care because all he cares about is the dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but, but then when you look at like Ghost Hunters and uh, the one in England, and I can't remember the name. It's like Ghost Maiden. Hunters International? No, it was uh, it was Most, Most Haunted. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I I, re- I first started watching Most Haunted because I, I'm fascinated by um, you know European uh, Europe, the European culture, the European legends. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. And and, and um, you know, and it was, I mean, everybody's going, oh, Ghost Hunters. I, I watched one episode of Ghost Hunters, and I was like, what the hell is this? And you're watching two shows basically doing the same thing. And one, I'm digging. The other one, I'm like, what the F is going on here? But then at the same token, you know, with Ghost with Ghost Adventures, I'm, you know, Zach Bagans is a tool. Aaron's a goofball. 
This guy, Nick, seems to be the only one that knows what the hell he's talking about. And the only one who's gone, who's not happy about what, you know, Zach's doing. But when you sit there and look at some of the evidence that they show that they catch, it's like, okay, was that real? Or did they, you know, use, you know, studio, you know, mm-hmm. studio trickery or whatever. And, you know, that, that their very first documentary that started the whole thing with Ghost Adventures. There's no way they can explain what that last scene that, it, that they showed. There's no way to explain what, how that happened. I mean, they had people from Hollywood, Hollywood special effects people going, there's no way they could have manipulated this footage. It's too grainy. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, some of the things that they show, it's like, okay, there's some credibility. And other things like, I'm being possessed. Get off of me. <laughs> yeah, I've exactly. William, I have seen William Shatner act, act better than that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think celebrity ghost stories is total garbage, too. I think that's all for ratings and made up and fake. Um, and, like but, it, 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 but it affects your credibility. That, uh, it, uh, unfortunately, puts a negative aspect and a negative credibility on you guys. How do you guys deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, at Proof of Paranormal Research, we actually uh, we walk through walk people through the process. Like we have uh, we have a program where we sync all of our audio and our video up at the same time. So if we catch a strange sound by us and it's not caught on any of the other pieces of footage, then you know they know that what we're uh, presenting to them is raw. And we don't have the big studios or anything. It's we we're on a budget, <laughs> and it you know some of our some of our footage and stuff displays that. And uh, the fact that I can go through and be like, oh, I was there. Um, you know, it's it's hard for. It's hard for anyone to look at our stuff and be like, no, that was that was staged. That was, um, but we don't discredit those people either. We let them present their argument and then we go from there. But uh, yeah, a lot of the thing with the big productions and stuff, they have deadlines to meet. They got you know, you know, they got the ratings and what they make as far as you know, we're down for non-profit so you know we don't we don't have that motivation yeah. so we're, we're just, we are out the, that's why we went with prove it paranormal research because that's what we're there to do we're we're not there to yank anybody's chain or you know just you know for views or whatever you know like a lot of the ones on YouTube do um so, I mean, and there's always going to be there's always going to be people out there. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be skeptics that that's that that are going to say just like, you know, oh well, you guys have staged that. That's you know, you guys have dubbed that audio. You guys have done all of this. You guys have done all of that. You know, you're going to have those people out there, and those are the people that you know. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how well you try to prove it. They're always going to say. No, you're wrong. You know, and they could be right. They could be absolutely right. You know, what we have 
may not actually be something that's paranormal. That's one of the things that you deal with in this industry is that is that you're dealing with the unknown. And, uh, you know, so, you know, with the skeptics that are out there, you know, you've just got to let them say their piece and, you know, allow everybody else to make up their own opinion and just continue to do what you do and what we're doing. Um, because there's people out there that do believe and there's do people out there that are going to listen to what you say and, you know, when you explain how you gather the evidence and how you analyze the evidence, they're going to they're gonna believe that, you know, and, you know, that's, that's your audience, you know, and you're not, you know, I'm not out here to try and um, prove any skeptics wrong. Um, I, you know, if if it's a skeptic that is open-minded and willing to learn and understand where I'm coming from, fantastic. But the, 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 the people that are out there that are just out there because, oh, you're wrong and I, I, I don't believe you, that's fine. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, we have, been, we have been on the clock here for well over what we normally run which is usually an hour we're working on over 90 minutes now and this has been one of the most fascinating roundtables i think we've had in the past few years and we could probably go on for two or three more hours but unfortunately looking at the clock we do need to start winding this down i'm going to throw out the final question for all our guests before we start wrapping this up i want your most fantastic unbelievable coolest or scariest story where have you been what have you seen what is the most compelling evidence you've ever seen or something that just completely freaked you out let's start with ryan what what has been the singular most strange unusual wonderful thing you have investigated and found okay uh yeah so there's this house uh it's right outside of white one it's called the Ward House, and we, we've investigated there many times before. That's the same place I caught the light anomaly, but on this particular investigation, uh, what we like to do is we like to go into the location and sweep the location, especially abandoned ones, to make sure there's no you know, squatters or animals that could be contaminating anything we find on video or audio. Um... And I remember it like it was yesterday. This was a year ago. So, I started like any other night. I'm excited, taking jokes, and, you know, ready to go. And we get to the location, and we enter. And right away, we hear, like, movement sounds. Uh, just sounded like someone was upstairs in the house. So, uh, we cautiously proceeded, and... Uh, it took us about an hour and a half before we even started the official investigation to make sure that absolutely nothing was in the house. And um, I remember as soon as I started hearing these noises, I just got a bad gut feeling, you know, we shouldn't be here, we should get out. Um, but our fearless leader, Marty, is like, no, this could be something paranormal, we got to stay and do our jobs. And... So long story short, the night continued off. We heard at one point sounded like there was a dog in the house, and uh, so the, we came up with the strategy. Uh, 
our leader and an associate investigator of ours. They were going to go check the upstairs again. And uh, my job was just to sit and fold the stairs and make sure they had light to exit if they had to make a hasty retreat. Now, this whole time, I just had, like, images in my head, like dog-like creatures standing at the top of the stairs, just staring me down. You know, didn't catch it on camera or anything. And then all of a sudden, I just got really, really sick. I got weak, started sweating everywhere, could barely stand up straight. And I remember just having the most intense pain in my stomach. Someone had punched me repeatedly in the stomach. To the point where I actually had to leave the house, and I actually did end up getting sick outside without getting too graphic of what happened outside. But um, just this, remember feeling sick, and it, it scared me because, you know, I do believe that if there is something evil or something angry, that they can, if they're powerful enough, they can do physical harm by messing with the body in such a way. Um, but I was, I was a trooper, as my leader said, and I continued the investigation. And I remember after the investigation, as we pulled away from the house, all the feeling of sickness and all that went away. And then I continued to have um, nightmares of the house uh, weeks after the investigation. And to me, that was cool because, you know, like, yeah, it hurt and it wasn't pleasant. And <laughs> but to me, that, that was my body picking up on whatever was there. And we do have a video on our channel of that investigation. And we can see the whole thing unfold. And we go in-depth in all the analysis. Uh, we still can't explain what came over me that night because it wasn't, you know, I know I had eaten, I had tested my blood sugars before the investigation, and everything was fine. So, um, I am diabetic, so that was my first thought, was maybe I was, you know, having a diabetic attack or something, but um, it, it was just scary that I was that ill like violently ill like the color drained from me and everything and then as soon as we're pulling away and that's and, pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it was scary but cool at the same time yeah so. wow how about you Christopher what uh what's the the one singular wow moment you've had well, I've, I've actually had two or three, but the, the, the one that really sticks out to me is was actually our most active case that we had up in West Virginia. Um, you know, during the investigation, we caught tons of EVPs uh, telling us to get out. Oh, my gosh, they're coming. All kinds of different EVPs. But actually, during the investigation, um, we were walking around the, the homeowner's front room and hallway down to their bedrooms. And, um, you know, we, we heard some, what we thought were some footsteps when we were, you know, asking, you know, whatever is there, you know, show us a sign of your presence, you know, knock on a wall, uh, you know, knock on a door, you know, uh, move a fan blade, you know, do something to show us that you're here. Um, you know, 
asking questions, you know, or, you know, your previous homeowner, you know, etc. Um, and we started walking down the hallway, and both my partner and I were over on one side of the hallway where there's no bedrooms or, or doors. Um, the the other side of the hallway is, is where all the bedrooms and doors were open, and all the doors were open. Um, you know, we could see clearly into all the rooms. And as we're walking down the hallway and we had stopped in front of one room, you know, again, we said, you know, show us a sign of your presence, you know, you know, knock on a door, knock on a wall, knock on a door. And as soon as we said knock on a door, you hear as, as if somebody had hit the doorknob. And I mean, it was a it was a loud thump on the doorknob. And, uh, you know, my wife was in the in the front room, you know, with an audio recorder and the, and the client. And uh, she happened to say, did you guys bump into the door? And we said, no, we're nowhere near the door. And our video camera was looking straight down that hallway. And uh, you even hear you even picked up, you know, we even picked up the, the knocking of the doorknob on the video camera. You can hear the doorknob being hit on the video camera. And I was standing right beside it. And uh, I looked at my partner and I said, well, we asked and we received. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, and then at that point we said, okay, we know that you're here, you know, um, you know, tell us what you want to, you know, so we continued on with the investigation. Um, and we didn't really catch, catch any EVPs uh, during that time Again, all of those EVPs were, were caught, you know, in our initial setup and in our initial investigation is where all most of these EVPs were uh, were caught. But uh, yeah, me standing right beside a door and the doorknob being hit and looking into the room and going, "Is there anything in there?" And you know, turning the the red light on and kind of shining it around and looking around and looking on the floor and it's like, "What in the world made that noise?" I mean, we know what made the noise; it was the doorknob. But what, you know? something hit the doorknob there was nothing that looked like it had fallen or anything like that so we couldn't figure that out but you know like i said when we said show us a sign of your presence knock on a door and the doorknob was was knocked it was like uh, yeah, uh it's here <laughs> ask and you shall receive yeah wow. exactly and heidi how how about you heidi what's your big go-to wow moment Okay, so like a year ago, we decided to try to get like a group slash tour together to go to this place I researched called Sleepy Hollow in Kentucky. And I did some research about it, and all I could really find on it was some urgent, like urban legends about, you know, Lady in White. And I can't remember all the other urban legends to it, but I know it was a huge area for Civil War soldiers. So we travel out to this area and keep in mind there's like a church and then a mile down the road from this little old church there's this cemetery. So when we were at the church we're sitting in the car, we get out of the car, we look around, we're like okay there's nothing here. We decided to go up to the cemetery and it goes in like a roundabout up a hill and we get to about the middle of the roundabout get out of the car, get maybe 20 feet out into the cemetery, and we don't literally see anything. Nothing. You could not see nothing. Yet, you heard like there was galloping coming straight towards you. Like, 
and it was so loud it was like almost like thunder loud and we all just it was so creepy and scary we couldn't even get out anything to start recording or not we just ran to the car <laughs> we just ran to the car went back to the church we were sitting in the church talking about it like we were all in shock and we have all the windows rolled down and all of a sudden out of nowhere you hear like a coin drop like loud as can be it sounded like somebody took a coin and bounced it on the ground outside the car and we looked that up and I can't remember exactly what it said about a coin but there's something about the paranormal and a coin drop so that was a pretty creepy one and we didn't even get to get any footage or even I, I was just too creeped out felt like I was being watched the whole time I've heard a lot of yeah. uh, poltergeist cases involve coins appearing and dropping yeah, it was so scary. Jim, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what was your biggest moment when you were investigating? <clears throat> well, there were two uh, actually on the same night. And it was at Bobby Mackey's. And uh, the first one was we were doing the Oculus, sec Oculus session upstairs. Um and there's probably a group of about 25 people and the oculus was being very quiet so the guy that was running the group he had us go one at a time and, and asked the oculus if it wasn't speaking because of us so it went around you know and when it got to me I asked the same question I said are you not speaking because I'm in here and the oculus clearly responded with yes so at that point they had me step out of the room and at Bobby Mackey's if you've been there you know they got you got the the mechanical bowl and you've got the the bar with this, the the bar area with the stage and then you've got some you know some other upper areas above the um, dance floor and things so they um, they had me step out of the bar area itself but I was close to the mechanical bowl. So I could still hear what was going on, and all of a sudden it started chattering up a storm when I left the room. Uh, that you and hated you. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some reason, there's something about me I didn't like. Um, and later on that night, I was down in the basement on the opposite side from where the well is, and. Um, I was standing about two feet apart from the guy that was leading the group. And there's no, the only light we've got down this basement at this point in time is the very little natural light that was coming from outside. But everybody's eyes had acclimated so we could, you know, we were able to function without breaking out the white lights. And he said something and this solid black mass moved in between me and him and it felt so close to me that I had to jump back I mean I could literally couldn't see nothing for a good two three seconds until it moved away and then I could see him and everybody else again mm. and so those are the two you know same night two you know you know these are those are just wow you know 
Well, guys, it has been an absolute fascinating conversation tonight. Um, and again, we could go on for hours. But unfortunately, we do need to wind this down. And this is the part of the show we normally call the plugs. So if you'd like to promote your social medias, your website, your YouTube channels, the names of your paranormal companies, I know at least one of you or two of you are haunters on the professional side. If you've got a home haunt or you work at a professional haunt or anything like that, you want to give it a plug, that'll be fine. Uh, let's start with Christopher. Tell us about... Uh, your paranormal group, where can people get more information? If you have social media, YouTubes or Instagrams, whatever, how can people find out more, see pictures, catch some of the work that you have done there? And anything well, else? Uh, <laughs> well, unfortunately, because uh, my wife, it's it's uh, it's myself and my wife, and uh, you know, we've had to actually take a little bit of a hiatus of actual going out and doing doing actual investigations um, ever since she got pregnant and, and the birth of our son. So uh, we're, we're actually looking to, to get back out there uh, soon. And, um, but, you know, unfortunately since then we took the website down and, and everything. So um, I hate to say it, but there's no, there's not much information out there about uh, PB and J paranormal, but there will be soon. Um, however, you know, I know the, you know, the majority of the audience is, uh, is haunters, pro haunters and, and home haunters and stuff. And if you're in the North Carolina area, we do have a, a Facebook group for uh, uh, for home haunters in, in North Carolina called the North Carolina Haunters. So uh, if you're on Facebook and want to check us out, um, send us a request. We'll get you approved and post away. Nice. Very nice. How about you, Heidi? How can people get more information about your group? And I believe you work at a professional haunted house as well. Yeah. Yes, uh, so shout out to the Dent School How. Um, we are, Heidi's Haunts is still kind of building and growing and under construction. So you can find our group on Facebook. It's just Heidi's Haunts. We have an Instagram, Heidi's Haunts. Um, there's a couple things on Kid Zombie Studios YouTube. Like I said, my son does this with. Um, there's also co-owner uh, Rusty and Caleb. So I would like to shout them out. Um, and yeah, that's about it. We'll be gone for a little bit just while I do the haunt. And we'll be back in November to take people out on tours and investigations and things. But like I said, we're still trying to grow. Nice. And Ryan, last but certainly not least, tell us about Prove It Paranormal Research or where people can get more information, YouTubes and social medias, etc. Alright, yeah, uh, we have a Facebook page which is uh, Prove It Paranormal Research. Uh, just go ahead and search that. We should be the only one that pops up. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel which is also uh, Prove It Paranormal Research. And I uh, also would like Give a shout out to my family at Wisconsin Scaryland. Unfortunately, we won't be open this year, but I just um, the the haunt has a special place in my heart. Also, just wanted to give them a shout out and let them know I'm thinking of them this year. Even you know we won't see each other this year. Very nice. Well, folks, whether or not you believe in ghosts and spirits and things or not, 
we didn't solve anything here tonight, but we did provide a lot of information, a lot of very cool stories, a lot of really, really entertaining information and cool stuff. So if you're interested in becoming a ghost investigator of some kind or paranormal or researcher or anything like that, I'm sure there's probably a local chapter near you somewhere. Look them up on the social medias. Maybe they'll uh, take you out on an investigation and see if that's something you really are interested in. And uh, again, I want to thank our fantastic guests, Christopher Presley in Cary, North Carolina, Ryan Olstad in Madison, Wisconsin, Heidi Poolscamp in Cincinnati. I hope I got that correct. Of course, Jim and Jerry providing a lot of great information. But I want to, again, speaking of them, I want to thank our special hosts for their input, including Storm. You know, I got to go through all my audio archives over the past 10 years with you guys, you know, <laughs> just to see if I have any other footage of ghosts, you know, tormenting you guys. I already got Jerry getting his hair pulled. You know, maybe maybe there's one of, uh, you know, somebody tugging Badger's beard or, or, or rubbing Jim's head or something at one of these conventions. <laughs> so I, I got my work cut out for me. Okay, I those think, are, I think, those... I was just going to say, I think, you find, I think you'll find more than ghosts tugging at Badger's beard. That, that would be true. But we won't go there tonight. No. I <laughs> uh, also want to thank Meat Hook Jim. Um, you know, I've had felt things rub my head before, so Storm's not too far off. Yeah, That's but, you know, throwing dollar bills at him doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> the very prolific tonight, Hauntstrumentalist Jerry Vane. Hey, you know what? Liquid Courage, what are you going to do? <laughs> That's some fortified water there. You damn is, right. Again, folks, get out there, support your professional haunted houses if you feel that they are doing things safely. This is going to be a strange season. But also, if you know of a haunted place or if you think your place is haunted, why not call your local paranormal investigator team and have them come out and check it out? Once again, this is the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. There you go, since you, if the haunts aren't open, go grab a paranormal crew, do some haunt, you know, some haunt uh, exploration yourself. Instead of getting, getting, going out and scaring somebody, get yourself scared. Oh yeah, there's tons of haunted haunted houses, and that's not a Just there go visit me. Like on the distance. Yeah, just go <laughs> stay at Jim's house for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've spent the night at Jim's on more than one occasion. It's a, it's a I got hey hey when you guys went and saw Midnight Syndicate, I was there for eight hours before, before I had to go to the airport. It's true. Yeah. Anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, let's see if you were paying attention to the last show because it is time for the September Gruesome Giveaway sponsored by our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. Be sure to check those guys out. Get all your Halloween supplies now while you still can. Well, folks, last show we asked a question. We received some answers. We randomly selected an entry. We might have that person on the phone 
Random selected entry. What is your name? Where are you located? Uh, my name is Jim Transu, and I'm located in Apache Junction, Arizona. Apache Junction, Arizona, way out west in the desert. What's the temperature out there today? Uh, you know, we're overcast today, so it's a cool 93 degrees in my house. Oh, gosh. Break out the winter jackets, right? Absolutely. It'll be 108 <laughs> tomorrow. Oh, geez. I feel for you, man. Well, you know how this works. We're going to ask you the question here and see if you know the answer. But before we do, we do have to ask you a couple of legal things. Uh, number one, have we contacted you in any way, shape, or form other than to tell you when to call in? No. All right. And number two, have you tried to bribe us in any sort of way to select you with, you know, promises of treasures unimaginable? No. Didn't occur to me. Ah, good. You did it the honest way. Well, Jim Transu of Apache Junction, Arizona. I don't have the question in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase it. Let's see if you know the answer to this. On the last show near the end of the Round Table of Terror, Storm came up with an off-Broadway production that he presented to our guest, David Howard Thornton. What was the name of that production? The Art of Karen. And you would be absolutely right. The art of Karen was the idea, and I'm hoping that David is talking to his agent now, but congratulations, Jim Transu of Apache Junction, Arizona. You are the September Gruesome Giveaway winner. Hey, sweet. Glad to uh, accommodate for you. Now, Jim, are you a haunter? Do you do a home haunt or a display, or do you work for a haunt or anything like that? Um, I have a home haunt intermittently. I spend most of my time during the year working with AZ Haunters. That's our Arizona Haunters group um, at azhaunters.com. Nice. Is that a big group of people out there? I know there's some good quality stuff out that way. Yeah, it's pretty big. The uh, AZ Haunters Facebook page has something like 5,000 members. The group has uh, just under 1,000 members. And, uh, you know, the webpage, the forum, it's struggling. It's down to about 600. Wow. Excellent, though. So, if you're out in the Arizona area, go check out AZ Haunters, if you haven't already. But, Jim, I need you to hold on the line so we can get some shipping information from you. But first of all, I want to congratulate Jim Transu of Apache Junction, Arizona, for being our September Gruesome Giveaway winner. And I also want to thank our very fine sponsor, Screamline Studios, at ScreamlineStudios.com. If you didn't win in September... You have the opportunity to get in October, and you know this time of year we give away some really nice things. So big thanks to our friends at Screamline Studios. And once again, folks, if you didn't win this month, try it again next month. This is The Big Scary Show's Gruesome Giveaway.
Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karam.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com Ah, thank you. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change and the subject? And the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> Rhythm Coffins. Rhythm Coffin Creek. 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 Rhythm Coffin Creek.
listeners, and welcome. Watch out, don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And on this episode, we're going to talk about Egyptian burials, rituals, graves, and modern practices. We all know about the ancient Egyptian pyramids. Many of us also know that they're tombs for the great pharaohs of history. Due to the grandeur of the pyramids, you might not be surprised to hear that traditional Egyptian burials are rich with rituals. But did you know that rituals extended to the common people as well? Ancient burial practices reflected Egyptians' core religious beliefs. Egyptian burial practices today don't mirror those of the past, so this will cover both, explaining why Egyptians perform certain rituals when burying the dead and how those practices have changed over the years. Learning about death in a different culture is a window into that culture's histories and values and allows you to reflect on your own culture. Let's dive on in. Ancient Egyptians typically didn't live much longer than 40 years. They knew that their lives were short. This is one of the main reasons their culture involved a significant focus on death and dying. Ancient Egyptians certainly believed in an afterlife. They didn't believe death was necessarily the end of one's life. They believed that a person's life continued after they died. They merely transitioned to a different stage of existence. This is one of the key reasons Egyptian burial practices often included mummification and entombment when important figures died. They believed they needed to adhere to strict mummification rules to ensure that the deceased would live on in the world of the dead. However, according to ancient Egyptian beliefs, not all people went to the same afterlife. Your class and status while you were alive determined where your soul would go when you died. If a person was not a royal, their afterlife, assuming they had lived virtuously, might very closely resemble their actual life, with only the pleasant aspects and none of the unpleasant. If someone was a king, they could join the gods in the afterlife. Although ancient Egyptians believed that a person could experience a pleasant afterlife, they didn't believe that reaching it was easy. Ancient Egyptian beliefs held that when a person died, they had to pass a series of tests. They relied on instructions from the Book of the Dead, as well as helpful amulets and similar objects to help them navigate. Those who could pass the tests would eventually meet the Osiris, the Egyptian god of the dead. Osiris would cast judgment by placing their heart on a scale, with the feather of truth on the other side. A balanced scale indicated a person had lived a virtuous life and could safely proceed to the next stage of the afterlife in the field of reeds. However, if the scale did not balance, Amit, the eater of the dead, a monster with the head of a crocodile, would, as you may have guessed, eat the deceased. The devoured would go on to an afterlife of pain and unhappiness. Researchers don't know everything about ancient Egyptian beliefs. What they do know comes from artifacts and documents of the time. Naturally, 
That means their understanding of ancient Egyptian beliefs regarding the afterlife is somewhat incomplete. Scholars don't agree whether the ancient Egyptians believed in reincarnation. Egyptian beliefs that may align with the idea of reincarnation are somewhat complex. Essentially, the ancient Egyptians believed that the natural world was cyclical, like the cycle of the seasons, or the way the sun rises and falls every day. Egyptians considered humans to exist in a natural cycle as well. Some researchers conclude to that some degree, the Egyptians believed a person's essential soul, Ba, returned to a state of unity with nature after their death, where they may be born again. However, it is unclear whether the ancient Egyptians believed people would return to earth in new bodies when they were reborn, or whether they would be reborn in another world or realm. Burial customs in ancient Egypt varied depending on someone's status and the period of the time when they died. Generally, the processes involved mummification. Ancient Egyptian burial practice included mummification due to the belief that a preserved body was a key to ensuring a person's survival in the afterlife. The process started as soon as an important person died. Someone would bring them to an embalmer. An essential part of their job involved removing as much of the moisture from the body as possible. This is because a dry body would be less prone to decay over time. Mummification also involved removing all internal organs that might otherwise decay in the body. This included the brain. Those performing mummifications had to be very careful as they were not supposed to disfigure the deceased's face during the process. When they had removed the organs, they would place them in jars for preservation, which they would later bury with the body. In later versions of the mummification ritual, they would sometimes treat and wrap the organs and then place them back into the deceased's body. The only organ that they would not remove was the heart. This is because they believed a heart contained a person's intelligence and essence. Once the embalmers had removed all organs and dried the body, the wrapping process began. This required hundreds of yards of linen. Those wrapping mummies were often so careful they would even wrap individual fingers and toes. While the embalming and wrapping process was happening, other craftsmen would prepare the tomb, which had to be ready by a strict deadline. In total, the mummification process typically lasted 70 days. Ancient Egyptian burial practices changed over time. They could also differ depending on a person's status. For instance, during one period of Egyptian history, family members of a deceased person would appear before a council of 42 judges to explain why the person was worthy of burial. If the judges deemed them worthy, they would place the body on a boat in the Nome Lake. The boat took the body to the other side to be buried. Some burials involved burying a deceased pet with them. If a pet outlived its owner, Egyptians would sometimes wait for it to die before burying outside its owner's tomb. In some instances, when a king or other elite figure died, Egyptians would select a few of their servants to die as well, so that they could bury them around the tomb. Priests played an important role in the mummification process. They were often the ones who wrapped the deceased. Additionally, they would perform the opening of the mouth ceremony before burial. 
This ceremony involved touching the mummy on key spots using a special instrument. Ancient Egyptians believed this reawakened the senses in the body. This allowed the deceased to experience those senses in the afterlife. At the end of the ceremony, the priest would touch the mummy's mouth, allowing the deceased to speak and eat in the afterlife as well. Ancient Egyptian burial practices used to involve simply burying people in the ground. Tombs and pyramids became more popular as the rich and elite desired more elaborate burials. However, even as tombs become more commonplace, a person's status still determined where Egyptians would bury them. For instance, they buried lower status people in shaft tombs and cemeteries. When an elite died, ancient Egyptians would bury them in a much more ornate tomb, which often included furniture, statues, and similar grave goods. They would also decorate the tombs with the instructions to help a deceased person navigate the afterlife. It's safe to say that modern Egyptian burial practices are quite different from the mummification processes of the past. For instance, today, Egyptians may cremate a deceased person. They would not have done so back when they believed that preserving a body was essential to their survival in the afterlife. That's not to say that all Egyptians cremate their deceased loved ones, because most Egyptians today are Muslim. They follow relatively tr traditional Muslim burial and funeral practices. This often involves allowing family members and friends to gather at a so small family mausoleum to pay their last respects, before transporting the deceased's body to a cemetery for burial. Death is common no matter what your culture. How we treat the dead can tell us a lot about what we value in life. When we ask the question like, why do we bury the dead? We start to find that the exact reasons vary from one culture to another. Ancient Egyptians believed in preserving the body so the soul could live on in the afterlife. While that belief may not be commonplace today, it explains why ancient Egyptian burial practices involve such elaborate and strict rituals. Well, who'd have thunk? Okay, we'll catch you on the next episode. Passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com
Greetings once again, Frighteners, to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. Here we are at the tail end of September, and you all know what that means, don't you? I'd suck it in if I were you. Yes, yes, I know. Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and Booberry are all back on the cereal shelves for a limited time only. Stock up and chow down while you can. Indeed it is. The great season is upon us. And with that in mind, first I wanted to apologize for not being here last time around, but when your PC suddenly develops sound card problems, recording is a bit of a pain. That's right! So, without further ado, we're going to jump into part 7 of the horror of it all, and film number 40. Released in the summer of 1987, the late Joel Schulmacher's Lost Boys really made a mark in a year that was full of horror films, as I mentioned more than once. This film, about teenage vampires on the loose and a young family that comes into contact with them and the consequences thereof, is a great coming-of-age sexual awareness film. Mind you, this isn't for little kids. There is some pretty hot and heavy stuff in here. Set in Santa Barbara, California, it holds up remarkably well, even by today's standards, and it really brought to prominence the careers of Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Patrick, Jamie Gertz, and Diane West. All went on to much bigger things. And, of course, the late Corey Haim and Corey Feldman figure in the film as well, who were pretty well established as uh, teen heartthrobs by that point. The vampire shtick in here is very well done. The only problem I've ever had with Lost Boys is it can't make up its mind. It seems at one point it wants to be a creepy horror flick, other times it's a very satirical 80s humor film, so figure it out. It goes up and down, but for some odd reason this mishmash works beautifully. This is one to definitely watch with your teenagers, and trust me, there'll be some interesting uh, questions later on, but I digress. Number 39. Francis Ford Coppola is no stranger to making rich, visually, dynamically, and thematically films. Take note of The Godfather 1 and 2 just for one example alone. But in 1992, he decided to jump into the world of horror, and Bram Stoker's Dracula was unleashed upon the public. The title is a bit misleading because it is really not that true to the novel, and anybody who's read it knows this, but in terms of style, dynamics, color, visual, and the depth going on within the film itself, this is really a remarkable piece of work. The set design, costumes, photography, and special effects make this film a feast for the eyes. Truly remarkable experience. You have to watch it a couple of times just to catch everything that's going on. Loaded with religious and sexual imagery, don't forget Coppola's Catholic, the film dives into things such as coming of age, sexual awareness, 
repentance, and forgiveness. It's an interesting combination for a film like a Dracula picture, but it all somehow all comes together and works very beautifully with a very somber and gothic feel to it. Let's not forget the stellar cast, including Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman as Dracula himself, Keanu Reeves, and Sir Anthony Hopkins, which just elevate this film to another level. And was worthy of note, this film supercharged the goth movement at the top of the 90s. Don't believe me? Go take a look back in your history and, well, Google it. That's all I'm going to say. And on to 38. Before he became the word processor of the gods, ha ha ha, that we all come to know and love, even the late 1970s, every book Stephen King published turned out to be well handled for TV and movie adaptions, and Salem's Lot was no exception. In late 1979, a four-hour television miniseries was unleashed upon the public, and while it's not the most faithful of adoptions of King's books, it's definitely one of the most effective. Full of classic universal monsters, gothic atmosphere, haunted houses, and spookiness abounding, not to mention a wonderful retake on the Nosferatu look of vampire by Reggie Naldar as Mr. Barlow. But what makes this film cook, as with most of King's works, is its fantastic plot and its character-driven agenda. Featuring a cast including David Soule and James Mason, the film moves along at a nice, creepy, eerie pace, and, as I've said many times before, this is one worthy of further investigation. I did an in-depth look into both Salem's Lot, the book, and the two films in-depth in a piece a couple years ago. I wish I remember where it was. I can't tell you which episode, but if you can, try and find that out. I go much more in-depth into what was going on with the book and both of the films, and my opinions a little more on the 2004 film with Rob Lowe, It Stinks, But Never Mind, and the possibility of a third reinterpretation in the near future, but who knows where that's going to lead up. Anyway, on to number 37. 1979 also saw the dawn of another major horror science fiction franchise in the release of the original Alien. Now, right out of the gate, I am not a big fan of this franchise. The original film is a classic of its kind, and I'll discuss that more in a minute, and its sequel, 1986's Aliens, is one of the best slam-bang action films that I've ever seen, but after that, this stuff just deteriorates into a goofy mythology that I just don't care for. H.R. Giger's design of the creature is great, but beyond that, especially when it cross-pollinated with the Predator series, it just left me so cold it wasn't funny. But on to this original masterpiece, essentially a haunted house in space film, including a fantastic cast that included introducing Sigourney Weaver, who went on to so much success it's too long to list, Tom Skerritt, and if you blink you'll miss him, Mr. Chestburster himself, John Hurt, with a very tense vibe to it and a really impressive monster 
The original concept, as I just said, is really, really good, and this film has suspense and spooks and scares abound. This is not for young kids, but if you really want to see what the fountainhead of all the nonsense was, this is the one to check out, and thank goodness it hasn't been tarnished by what followed afterwards. On to number 36. Set in George A. Romero's world, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are two underachievers who, due to the onset of the zombie apocalypse, rise to the occasion somewhat of semi-heroes. I'm recurring, of course, to none other than 2004's Shaun of the Dead. This deadpan comedy hums with a clever and fast-paced script, plus a decent amount of gore for the diehards. Like the best of Romero's material, there is plenty of social commentary, but the film digs deeper than that touching on some genuine emotional ground. Full of references to Romero's original Dead trilogy, peppered with all sorts of in-jokes and cultural pokes, you'll laugh till you've got red on you. Ow, ow, ow! And on to number 35. Okay, now I'm going to get myself in a lot of hot water with that choice because that got really panned when it was released in 2004. I'm, of course, referring to Van Helsing, one of my personal all-time favorite horror films, and it's a great Halloween trick-or-treat. Yeah, 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 I know the movie is a sloppy mess with a ton of plot holes, but anytime you mix Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman together in one movie... Okay, 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 it doesn't always work, but for a family fun sort of film, this has a lot to recommend it. Plenty of comic book style action, plus the sets and locales are terrific here. Say what you will about Hugh Jackman in the title role, but Richard Roxburgh did an admirable job as a gypsy Count Dracula, and the Frankenstein monster is actually quite funny in this film. Just turn your brain off and enjoy the ride. And number 34. Nineteen eighty five was a big year for horror films. The original Fright Night, the second Nightmare on Elm Street both had big box office returns, and George A. Romero's third film in his zombie trilogy, Day of the Dead, hit the big screen. But nothing knocked it out of the park like Return of the Living Dead. Not only is it responsible for everyone around going brains. But it's actually a very witty, funny film if you look at it carefully. I laughed my head off the first time I saw this in the theater because it took Romero's original Night of the Living Dead concept and just turned it on its ear. And honestly, this is also where we got the running zombie thing, but that's a horse of another color for another time. This one, I wouldn't show to little kids. It can get quite gory, but if you've got a dark sense of humor, you're going to love this one if you haven't seen it already. And moving on to number 33.
Steven Spielberg is responsible for some of the biggest films ever in terms of cinema history. Jaws, Indiana Jones, etc., etc. But he never touched on genuine horror very often, but in 1982, he, that changed the, quite dramatically with the release of Poltergeist, probably one of the best haunted house ghost stories available, with a certain dry sense of humor to it as well. Special effects-wise for its time, this thing just annihilated the competition. And there are quite a few major horror films that year as well, including uh, George Romero and Stephen King's Creepshow. But this thing was just a special effects tour de force, especially in the last 20 minutes. I saw it recently on Netflix, yes, it's still on there, and it still holds up remarkably well to this day. This is a fun family film as well, providing your children aren't too sensitive, but that's a matter of conjecture right there. Just don't send me the therapy bills if your kids freak out. And on to number 32. deserve the term cult classic, Disney's 1993 release Hocus Pocus definitely deserves it. Featuring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and a host of others in a story of three witches looking for eternal youth and using children to meet their evil ends, well, what would turn out to be a horror film is actually a rather amusing and charming Disney flick. Not the best they've ever done, but it's definitely fun for children to watch and it also get a kick out of it too. I have friends who just obsess over this thing and while I enjoy it I never quite understand the cult following this one has generated. A lot of fun though I'm not gonna knock that. Quite a few interesting musical tidbits and Bette Midler just steals the show. Not to mention Sarah Jessica Parker is hysterical. He's <laughs> stupid funny. But if you have not seen this and I'm not sure anybody hasn't who listens to this show by this point if you haven't Turn in your haunter's license and go watch it. I'll give it back afterwards. On to number 31. Tim Burton's success with stop-motion animation cannot be ignored, especially in the venue of Halloween and macabre storyline telling. But 2005's Corpse Bride is actually rather charming. A sweet musical with ghoulish undertones of a playful nature, featuring the voice sounds of both Johnny Depp and Helen Bonham Carter, not to mention a cameo by Christopher Lee as the reverend of the local church, not to mention Michael Goh as the, um, shall we say, bookkeeper or authoritarian figure of the underworld. You figure it out. This film is cute, sweet, charming, and very, very touching at the end. I highly recommend this one for children. It brings a certain comfort to all the spooky goings-on that surround our holiday, but also, like I said, it can soothe kids in certain aspects that may pleasantly surprise you. Again, a family film, and a very bittersweet and charming one at that. Highly recommended. And on to number 30.
Whedon gave the vampire genre a healthy kick in the pants with this one, 2008's Let the Right One In, released at about the same time as the Twilight film craze was happening as well. What happens when the new neighbor next door, an innocent-looking little girl, is a bit more than she seems? This vampire melodrama gave the genre a healthy kick in the behind, focusing more on the relation aspects of the characters rather than recycling gothic shtick. Beautifully filmed, paced slow and quiet like a long winter's night, punctuated by bursts of violence. By the way, avoid the 2009 American revamping Let Me In Like the Plague. The film is based on the 2004 novel of the same name and it plays literary racquetball with things like Dracula. You'll see all kinds of trademarks of the genre sprinkled in there without the gothic claptrap and spread in a more modern setting. Not recommended for little kids, but definitely a sad, bittersweet story about coming of age and getting involved in things maybe you just shouldn't. And on to number 29. <laughs> original 1954 Godzilla. Don't laugh. Compared to its successors, this is one mighty grim picture. Japan is the only nation to ever have had atomic weapons used against them, and Godzilla is representative of that. In other words, he is us. Yes, the effects are dated, but it's still gorgeous in their fine detail. Godzilla himself is a remarkable creation. There is something distinctly Japanese about him, a trait shared with few of the other beasts in the Toho canon, save maybe Mothra. I grew up on the American version with Raymond Burr, released in 1956, but if you want the full impact, I highly recommend the Japanese original print subtitled. It definitely portrays what Japan was going through at the time and their feelings, both conscious and subconscious, regarding nuclear weapons. And on to number 28. This brings us to 1972's The Night Stalker, a huge blockbuster in terms of ratings back in January of that year. Don't laugh, it was huge. The fountainhead for the much-beloved and equally beleaguered 1974 television series, this made-for-TV movie features Carl Koshak, played by Darren McGavin, a somewhat crusty reporter on the trail of what appears to be a homicidal maniac who thinks he's a vampire on the streets of Las Vegas. Or is he? The closer Kolshak gets to the case, the more the impossible seems quite likely. The film was a ratings bonanza on its initial broadcast, and with very good reason. It was well written and surprisingly effective, and it is so even by today's standards. Just for the record, Jano Skorzeny, played by Barry Atwater, doesn't utter a single word during the entire film. 
a sly nod to Christopher Lee and Dracula, Prince of Darkness from 1966. I went in-depth on the sequel, 1973's The Night Strangler, and the television series that I mentioned earlier on a few episodes ago, actually quite a few episodes ago on this show. If you can find it, check it out. I had a lot of interesting information regarding it, and it's still quite fun to watch. They've tried to revive Kolchak on television once or twice, and it never seems to work. As the saying goes, you can't reheat a souffle. Number 27. Hollywood has more than butchered most of King's works, but in the case of Stephen King's The Stand, a 1994 made-for-TV dramatization of one of King's longest and most beloved tales, it was handled with grace, style, and aplomb. A military biological weapon gets loose, a souped-up version of the flu no less, hmm, food for thought, and decimates the world's population in the space of one summer. The survivors rally into two camps, one good, led by Mother Abigail, who hole up in Colorado, and the other evil, led by Randall Flagg, the dark man, who holes up in no less than Las Vegas. Events lead to a final, climactic confrontation. This eight-hour miniseries, the only way the novel could be effectively done justice, succeeds and satisfies on so many levels, thanks in no small part to the amazing cast. Gary Sinise, Rob Lowe, Molly Ringwald, Ray Walston, and even Mr. King himself. Richly textured and worth multiple viewings, this thing didn't get out of my VCR for most of 94. Incidentally, CBS Online is going to be releasing a new version of The Stand this December. Will it have the same impact and results as this one? Time will tell, but keep that in the back of your mind. And on to number 26. Released in 1981, The Howling was one of two defining lycanthropic werewolf films of the year. Further up on this list is the first, and it delivers the scares while winking at the audience quite a bit. I mean, a resort colony specifically for werewolves? <clears throat> Loosely based on a semi-sleazy novel by Gary Bradner, this film is loaded with references and in-jokes for the horror aficionado. Many characters are named after horror film directors, and you can spot clips from The Wolfman and a few other werewolf films as well. Look for cameo appearances by both Roger Corman and Forrest J. Ackerman. The wolves themselves have a somewhat comical big bad wolf appearance to them, but the stellar cast makes it all work somehow. Dee Wallace, Patrick McNee, Kevin McCarthy, John Carradine, Slim Pickens, and Dick Miller all bring something unique to the table. The transformations are eye-poppingly detailed, and the film has one of the funniest closing lines ever if you like hamburgers. Incidentally, any of the sequels that followed were utter garbage, avoid at all costs. 
And with that, I'm going to wrap up this segment of the horror of it all. Next time around is my top 25 in the grand conclusion of this long-term project. So, comments, critiques, suggestions. I'm no longer on Facebook, but drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com, and I will respond to any and all correspondence. Also take a gander to my blogspot page, the Weister's Halloween Haunt Journal, full of news and reviews you can use and abuse. We will see you again in two weeks. Please be safe. Haunting season is upon us. But take care with that virus running around. Use common sense. Still have fun. But protect those you love. Protect yourself and protect those around you. So until next time, always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bite mama goodnight, and always remember that I hid the body just because I hid the body and it's Halloween. I don't need an excuse. <laughs> Happy haunting, dear listeners. Enjoy the season. Be safe, and we'll see you next time around. The Rhythm Coffee, the Rhythm Coffee, Ballastine, Ballastine, the Big Scary Show.
haunted house owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios, Dark Imaginings, Von Caron Productions, Hot Pay, and Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, the unknown scare actor, Drew Badger, actor, trainer, and consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.